You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. This week, we're going to wrap up with Malachi, and uh, I've enjoyed uh, the minor prophets. Uh, it just, I'm amazed, even at this stage of, of ministry, I've preached through much of the Bible uh, in the last 20 plus years, but I I'm, feel like even now that I understand so much more and God's been using them. And we get to the point at Malachi. Malachi was the last book written before Jesus arrived on the scene. So there are thousands of years of Old Testament history that have happened from Genesis all the way through, through Malachi. Uh, in fact, we are leapfrogging about 100 years from last week when we looked at Zechariah. So kind of, you know, if you're on the, you've got the remote control in your hand, you know, we just went through 100 years of history. Just kind of fast forward uh, to this point. The temple's been rebuilt. God has uh, allowed the Jews to come back into Israel. And once again, they just kind of are not getting it. And the state of spiritual affair in their life is one of apathy. It's one of nonchalant. It's not that the people turned atheist. They didn't turn against God. They weren't against God. They were not uh, uh, completely against him. There was some idolatry going on, but it's really not the things that, that Malachi is coming against so much. The real issue was they just began taking God and spiritual things for granted. Just lackadaisical, lazy in their faith. Uh, they were apathetic as followers of God. And Malachi comes in and says some pretty difficult things to them. Now, I know that none of us in this room never, ever have issues with becoming lazy or apathetic in our own spiritual walk with Christ, right? Nobody here this morning has ever struggled with that, where you just kind of put it in neutral, you know, you're like, okay, I've worked hard, I've got to the top of the hill, I deserve to coast a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm just going to kind of relax, I don't want to do, go too crazy, you know, and just, I'm tired, God, I need a little bit of a break, can I just kind of chill along the way? And so uh, we're going to talk about how do you and I get off this cycle, and I'll show the cycle to you in a minute, but how do we get off this lazy cycle and the terrible things that happen because we just begin to, to become a bit apathetic in our faith. It's not that we're against God. It's not that we're, you know, all of a sudden going down the road and bowing down to any crazy foreign idols or any such things of that but we somehow along the way have just slowly allowed our faith to grow a bit cold and the fire in our heart to dull down. And instead of having a heart aflame for God and having a focus and a passion and an intensity and instead of having a fervency and a living our life with a purpose and an intentionality, instead of that, we allow it to erode away, kind of rust over, if you will. So take your Bible, if you will, and turn with me to the, the book of Malachi. And I want you to, to notice a few things this morning. Uh, read with me in verse 6. Uh, actually, I don't want to start in verse 6. Let me think for a second. Where do I want to start? Put the first passage on the screen. <laughs> My brain has forgotten it. Yeah, that's what I said. That's exactly where I wanted to start. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention 
and heard them. Here, here's the picture, because I know you're catching it midstream of the book. I'm actually starting on the positive side. Malachi is full of, of, of warning, full of judgment. God's coming in. It's basically when you and I were kids and we were messing up and we heard mom and dad come up the stairs, we knew what was coming next, you know. It's one of those things. And so the, the, the hammer is coming down and, Mal, and the Malachi is speaking firmly and strongly to Israel. So I'm actually giving you the positive side uh, of this. And I want you to see in the middle of the judgment and the condemnation that there were a few people in Israel that were faithful. They were kept their heart warm toward God. And God is, is making sure that they have some hope in the middle of this and saying, hey, I'm not neglecting you. I see you uh, out there, in essence, is what he's saying here in verse 16. So he says in, in verse 16, the Lord paid attention and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. You see, God is saying, I see you. I know you fear me and you esteem my name. I'm not talking to you in the judgments in this book. I want you to know that I see where you are. And I have in my book of remembrance your name. And he says in verse 17, Those individuals shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. I want you to notice first this thing this morning is that God always blesses and God always sees our faithfulness even when we live with and among people of apathy. God blesses us even in, in the middle of that. You see, sometimes we can live, sometimes it's someone very close in our, our life. We can, as a, as a Christian, if you're married, you can say, you know, my husband's just kind of chilling, and I wish he would be a little more serious about his faith. I wish that he would pay more attention. I wish he would lead. I wish he would step forward in his faith. Or sometimes the man may say, well, my wife is kind of, I wish she would just really come along. Sometimes people are married to somebody who is not a, a, a Christian and really not interested at all. And if you're not careful, you begin to, in your mind, think about, you, you begin to think, well, my family is not, not whole and God's not going to bless us because my whole family is not serving him. I want you to realize the blessing this morning is, is that even if you live with people in your own home or live in a community where there's judgment coming or, or live even in a church where there's some who have that, that uh, an, an apathetic heart, that God is telling you and me this morning is to make sure that our heart is a, on a flame for God because He sees that. And even if we are close and we have those others around us that may be trying to try to pull us down or like, why are you always, you know, focusing on God? Why are you always reading your Bible? Why are you always going to church? Why are you, you know, always trying to hold to this standard and, the, and wanting to kind of pull us away that, that God sees and he remembers us and he, he sees each and every single individual. He doesn't paint with a, a broad brush out there. And that should be an encouragement to us to, to have our heart, to make sure that we are true and sincere in following Christ. Now, he's, he's writing this to people who've put their trust in him as Lord of their life. For us today in the New Testament, we know that he's writing us to those who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ as Lord. Not just people of faith generically, not just people who go to church generically, 
but people who have surrendered their life, who've recognized their sin and recognized that they're fallen before God and that they're without hope because of sin and experience the, the eternal judgment of God, but who have said, God, I know that you are a God who's holy, but you're also a God who wants to forgive. And I, I trust Jesus who died on the cross to save me from my sin. Those individuals who step forward in that faith and then specifically in this case who are living that life, that lifestyle, he says, I see you, and I remember you, and I'm going to bless you. And there's going to be a distinction between you who are following faithful and those who are not. I feel in the U.S. that increasingly we are headed today into days where those who are truly faithfully following God and those who are not, who are maybe playing at it, who maybe go to church, but their lifestyle really isn't, doesn't reflect who Jesus is, whose heart really is not fully, wholly surrendered to God. He's saying there is increasingly a dividing line. We still have a little bit where there's a gray area that people are like, well, I believe in God and I go to church and everything's good. And it's just kind of this gray area. Increasingly, what God is telling us, there's going to be a separation if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to show. And it's going to be different from those other individuals. And there is often a question or a conflict that can happen in families and in relationships and that. And those are challenging. But God says, I see you and I remember and you're mine and you are following me and I'm going to bless you in that. So that's the first thing I want you to recognize this morning is to be of good cheer and God promises to bless us. In fact, in chapter 4, he says, he says, you'll be like a young calf skipping out of a stall and running. Think about a calf that maybe has been uh, a, a, an animal that's been pent up in a little stall and finally gets freedom and gets the chance to run and, and shout and, and have the joy. He's saying that there may be judgment coming to the world around you, and there may be some judgment coming in the middle of the family because of that. But I'm a powerful enough God that even in the middle of that, I know how to bless you and protect you and keep you and to give you joy in the middle of those difficult circumstances. Second thing I want you to recognize is that our disobedience comes from apathy. Apathy in our heart is what produces disobedience. You see, you and I get into sin not we, the issue, it doesn't happen like this. Well, I'm going to go do all this stuff that's wrong. And then our faith becomes weak, and then we become apathetic. It's actually the other way around. You and I go, after we know Jesus Christ is Lord, we become apathetic. We become lazy. We become unfocused. We allow other things to crowd into our heart, and we begin to serve God with a half-hearted attitude. And then the disobedience comes. It's not the other way around. So the big picture that I especially want you to get this morning, if you struggle with obedience to God in a certain area of your life, you need to work upstream in that circle more and say, God, where am I apathetic towards you in my life? Where am I lazy in my life right now? Where am I out of focus and not putting you first? Because our disobedience and our wanderings and the things that we get into that we know that are wrong come when we have a lazy faith that we just nonchalant and take God for granted. Our apathy always leads to disobedience ultimately. We don't just stay apathetic. It leads ultimately to a strong disobedience against God. Look at what verse 6 of chapter 1 says. God is, God is arguing before the people. 
here. And he says this, he says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, a father to you, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my fear? You guys don't honor me. You don't fear me. You're not like the few faithful that I know. As a group, you are dishonoring me, and you are not fearing me. And notice who is saying this. This says, the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. This apathy had become so bad in the nation of Israel, the spiritual leaders that should have been more of a thermostat, turning the temperature up spiritually, they became more of a barometer or a, 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 um, what is the thing you call that measures the temperature? A thermometer. They become more of a thermometer instead of, Instead of truly dialing up the temperature and changing that environment, they just reflected the environment. And he says, you spiritual leaders, you are, you are apathetic. You do not fear me at all. And in verse uh, 6, he goes on and he says, But you say, because the people are arguing with God, how have we despised your name? And he tells them the answer, by offering polluted food on my altar. Picture a child arguing with a parent, or maybe a, an employee arguing with their supervisor. And they, in turn, respond to God, How have we polluted you? And he answers them, By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. And he gives them the, answer, the results. He says, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those animals that are lame or sick... Is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? He says, look, guys, I gave you a command. You were to offer me the best of your flock without blemish because I'm a holy God and I'm a king of the world. And your offering should mean something. It should cost you something. Worship, by the way, always costs us something. If it doesn't, it's not worship. It always should cost us Time and effort and sweat and money and energy and heart and putting ourselves second. If it doesn't, it's not worship by nature. And so God says, you guys are just culling the leftover in your flock. You just, you go in there and you see some poor animal that's hobbled that's not going to make it. You know, it's probably going to die anyway. And you say, oh, I'll take that one and I'll offer that one to God. And he says, look, you go put that on the table for the king or the governor and see if they're not offended. You know, serve them leftovers and see what happens. See how they like it. Am I not more important than that? Here's the deal. Because they were apathetic in their faith toward God, they began to directly disobey God in all that they did. Our apathy will always result in disobedience. Always. Sometimes you and I get into sin and we go like, how did I do this? How did I end up here? Why do I struggle so much? And we need to address that issue. But if we don't look beyond that, if we don't peel the next layer of the onion below that and get to the point that, oh, my heart's cold. I'm actually just taking God for granted. I'm just not focused. And I'm just, I'm kind of just, you know, my spiritual life is more the couch potato lifestyle than the getting up and doing something that's where you and I have to begin to address the issue that's in our heart. We have to deal in, with a specific apathy. Third thing I want you to recognize 
is once we become disobedient, apathetic to God, we become disobedient in an area in our life, and that disobedience then flows into every area of our life. Every area begins to get colored and painted. See, you and I can't be disobedient to God in this one area. We think, oh, this is just one thing. It's just one thing. I'm godly everywhere else. I'm just going to have my little pet thing that I do and allow into my heart. God will understand. God forgives me. He's a gracious God. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's ultimately all or nothing. Is God a gracious God and does He forgive you? The answer is yes. He's a gracious God and He calls us holy. And we, we, we stand in the middle of that forgiveness and it's wonderful and that freedom. But we can never justify and dare we never to justify an area of disobedience and allow that to become a stronghold in our heart. Because what happens is it's an area like on a, on a, that begins to erode away and infect and spread like a cancer. Think about it like on your, your car or your, your truck. The, it's like having an area that begins to rust. Uh, we've, in our cars, I've noticed, I'm, I feel like a used car salesman. I helped my son buy a truck yesterday. I have been a part of buying five cars this summer, all right? Thankfully, most of the money was not mine, or at least only half of it. I only replaced my own two. Uh, and so three of them belong to somebody else. But anyway, and so I have, uh, I have looked under more hoods and crawled underneath more vehicles and, and inspected and looked at all of that. But you know how in your car the rocks will hit on the highway, probably in the wintertime, you know, and they come up and they hit just above your windshield on the, 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 the roof of your car and they'll chip the paint there. And then over time, the paint will bubble and it'll just get rusty. You, how many of you are tracking with me? You've seen that? You know what I'm talking about? All right. A lot of the guys, some of you ladies are either checked out, you're like, I don't need to answer it, so I don't know. But just trust me, it's there, all right? Now, by the way, if I were really an engineer, I'd be like, why couldn't they just put a piece of plastic or rubber like an inch higher and it would solve all of that and it would go away, but that's another conversation. And what happens is, is that little piece of rust, what's it gonna do? It doesn't stop. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until you either have driven your car so much you get rid of it or you fix it. That's what happens in our life. It doesn't stay put. When we just become apathetic, we allow those things to hit, and we begin to disobey God in one area of our life, but it begins to spread into every area. That's why God made it very clear. It's going to be, it's going to be obvious who truly is following Christ and who isn't. You, you don't stay in the middle. You go one direction or you go all the way to the other direction. And what he says in chapter 2 is he goes on and he explains what these priests are doing. He says in verse 7, he says, The lips of priests should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth, because he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way, the, the path that I have charted for you people. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. He says, you ministers, you pastors, you priests, your job is to explain my words to people in a way that they understand, in a way that they can apply to their life and, and walk out the door and know what I'm trying to tell them because I love them and I want to change their life. And you've corrupted it. You haven't helped out. You haven't explained things to them. You've made it up and you've glossed it over and you act like, oh, it doesn't really matter hey, you don't need to be serious about worshiping God. Yeah, you want to give a half-baked offering to God? That's cool. That's good. 
It's an indictment, by the way, to pastors today. I think there's a lot of that in our culture around us. People just, pastors just kind of glossing over God's word and making it just say whatever people want to feel good and comfortable. And we ought to, have, God wants to change our life and save us, but to get to that state, we got to deal with the uncomfortability that we've all sinned and are messed up before holy God. And what was happening is, is they were neglecting God's word. So when you're apathetic in your faith, disobedience begins to kick in, and you begin neglecting the truth of God's word, that which should be medicine to your soul, that which should be health to you spiritually, you begin to change and corrupt. And as you change and corrupt that, that cancer and that rust begins to spread even more. He goes on and he explains to the people, he says, not only is this an issue spiritually between you and me, but this is now an issue in your relationships one with another. He says, you guys are, in your marriages, you are now unfaithful to the, he's speaking to the men, he says, you are unfaithful to the women that you married in your youth. In fact, that what was happening is, is the men were divorcing their wives that they married, who were women who were of, of, of the Jewish nation. They were divorcing them, and they in turn were marrying women from the, the Gentile idol world. And I get the picture, it's much like today. Eh, she doesn't really respect me anymore. I just, I, you know, I want to be friends, but I just don't love her anymore. We just, we've lost something. Oh, but this other girl over here, this other woman, wow. It's amazing. And they start running after. And all the while, the issue isn't their relationship and unfaithfulness. It works backwards. It, it comes out of their disobedience and out of their apathy. It's a cancer that has crept in and overflows and affects their, their, whole, their whole lifestyle. That's why in chapter 2, verse 14, he, he talks about them. He says, look, the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You got married. I was a witness. You may have had other witnesses that signed the paper the day you said I do, just like we did on Friday with Adam and Sarah. But he says, I was a witness between the two of you. That, that wife to whom you now have been faithless, even though she is your companion and your, and your wife by covenant, by covenant with me, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the, what was the one God seeking but godly offspring? You see, God is saying this. He's like, look, this cancer... It shows up in my, your worship of me. You're disobeying me. You don't believe my words anymore. Now because you're throwing my Bible aside, all your marriages are failing because you're neglecting the things that I taught you. Don't we see this in the world around us? The issue of failing relationships really ultimately is not a failure of two people just to love each other. It's a failure of two people in the relationship with God and to be able to live in that covenant relationship with forgiveness and grace and holiness and commitment and good times and bad and, you know, and sickness and health and richer and poor and all the things that I shared on Friday, out of that relationship with God, it spreads into that, that whole area. And then he comes down 
And he says, and not only does it affect your relationship with one another, but it even affects your, your finances and, and what you're experiencing in life. And ultimately, you're even robbing me. He says, you're not tithing what you should. He says in, in verse 7 of, of chapter 3, he says, From the days of your fathers, you've not, you have turned aside from my statues and not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? In verse 8, will man rob God, yet you are robbing me. And here they're arguing again, but you say, how have we robbed you? Like, seriously, God, how are we stealing from you? And he says this, in your tithes and your contributions, and you are now cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. So it's not only just in worship to God and our relationship, but it even spreads into the finances in our life. Guys, here's the thing. You can either serve God with your whole heart, and that changes in everything in your life. That's why we talk about life change here at River. Our lives change when we know and follow Jesus. Now, if you know Jesus, your life changes. But if you along the way don't really follow Him as much, and you really are not seeking Him and obedient, can you truly be born again in that state? Yeah. Do you get to experience all the life change that God has for you? Nope. Why? Because we disobey, we're disobeying Him, and He's not first in our life, and He removes His blessing, and He allows, and He brings judgment into our life. So that that obedience never just stays in that one area. Just like rust in our car, it always spreads until it's dealt with and fixed and removed. And that disobedience ultimately leads to God's judgment. God takes notice and he speaks down. He reaches down. In verse chapter 3, verse 5, he, here's what happens. He says, I will draw near to you for judgment. It will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely. Here's more of this sin spreading into our lives. Against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who th thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. And he says, look, our disobedience ultimately leads to God's judgment. And he says, I see those the adulterers. I see those who are messing around with witchcraft and on all of the, the occult and all of those things who are pursuing things apart from me. I try to scan the news just so I can kind of know what's going on and nothing catches me, you know, by surprise, events in the world and whatever. And, but to be honest with you, more and more, I don't read the details because I know what's in them and it just, it's so just, it's such a disaster. But I notice, and I'll use uh, one of the popular feeds out there and it it apparently it's it's there's some uh, logarithm that knows what I've clicked on and what I'm interested in what I like and it feeds it but lately and I don't know why it's doing this but lately I'm getting all the latest horoscope stuff you know come with the stars and see how you should you know win the heart of the man of your dreams based on his horoscope whatever and I'm just like seriously like at multiple levels that's just wrong for me you know all kinds of levels your mathematicians your logarithm needs to be fixed clearly but I do make this point increasingly the world around us is turning to everything outside of God to the the stars to fix the problems of life to 
to, to, and it's just absolutely absurd. And I still don't understand how in a very science-driven world we're becoming more and more ridiculous and crazy with everything else. It's just, it's just insane to me. It's just the fruit of a person's heart that desires to know God but rejects him. And, and God says, I see all of that. You're pursuing witchcraft. And, that, and part of that would be all the astrology and reading fortunes and going to psychics and trying to contact the mediums and all of that. He says, I see the adulteries. I see the oppression that you're not treating the, the, the poor, the widows, the orphan who have no one to defend them. You're, you don't care about them. You're casting them aside. I don't know if you've seen in some of the world, some of the... Uh, the medical world, the, the exorbitant prices of, of things. Uh, what was it not long ago? Was it EpiPens? Like there was one person in the world, one company that made EpiPens and just raised the price just astronomically. Wasn't because they needed, that's what it took to make it. It's just because the guy's like, I got a monopoly and I deserve to get rich off everybody else. What God would say is, is no, you shouldn't. You, are, you ought to be offering that at a fair price. You deserve to live but come on, dude, you don't need to be a millionaire. Solve the problem of the people and help them along the way. That's the kind of stuff that was rampant in the culture. Now, it's easy for us to talk about that guy out there, you know, the, the, the big guy of the company, but God says to us, he's like, you guys have a responsibility to care for those who are in need, to care for them. And when we don't, he says, my judgment is coming. You cannot disobey God without experiencing judgment. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of people in the world today who are experiencing God's judgment. Sometimes it comes by God just removing his blessing. Sometimes it comes just by God allowing to happen what naturally happens when we sin. Just kind of like the natural state of affairs, if you will. And then sometimes God brings direct judgment in our life. And then people step back and they're like, why? Why is God allowing this to happen? What have I done? And God in heaven is just like, seriously? You don't see all of this? And they're stepping back clueless. That's actually where Israel was. And that whenever we experience the judgment of God and your heart's grown cold, you don't even realize how cold it is. And you disobey and God's judgment comes. And then you begin saying, God just doesn't love me anymore. That's what verse 2 of chapter 1 talks about. They were so clueless and so disconnected from God, they didn't feel God's love. They didn't feel it. They didn't know it. They didn't sense it anymore. God was just out there, and they were doing some religious duty. Not very well. And then God tells them, he says, look, you're clueless, but I've loved you, says the Lord of hosts. And here they're arguing, but you say, how have you loved us? Like, really, God? You don't love us. How could you say you love us? There's been one or two teenagers, maybe you when you were teens, that had this argument with mom and dad. You don't love me right now because of something going on. That's what they're doing. They're, they're God, you've not loved us. And God says, yes, I have. He says, is not Esau Jacob's brother? They were of, the, of Jacob, declares the Lord. And he says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. God says, I have too loved you. Look at all that I've done. You. And I've turned my back on the sin and, and upon this other individual. When you and I then begin to experience God's judgment that we deserve, we begin to think that, well, God doesn't love us anymore. We don't feel God's presence in our life and things aren't working well and they're not turning out right. and We don't know why. And we think that it's God's fault and God's character to blame. 
And what happens then is the cycle starts all over again. It begins to repeat. And in chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? And in verse 14, he says, You said it's vain to serve God. What's the profit of keeping the charge of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? <laughs> then they say, why should we bother to obey God anymore? It doesn't work. There's no return on investment. There's nothing good that he's doing for me. We view life that way, right? You know, you buy a vehicle, you pay your money, I'm going to give you this so I get that. And we treat relationships. I'm going to put in if you do that, which is not the way to do relationships. In fact, you start out that way when you're married, you are absolutely, your marriage is going to go in the trash can and you will be done. Uh, you can't live life that way. But they are convinced that it's God is at fault and they're justified in how they're living their life. Let me put the cycle on the screen, go to the graphic. I call this the death cycle, and this is the picture of what we've been talking about. Our spiritual apathy, not living life as Christians in the spirit, following and living on, with a hope and a focus on him leads to our dishonor and disobedience. It leads to God's judgment. It leads us to questioning God's love for us, and we never think, well, God doesn't love me anymore, and that in turn leads us to more spiritual apathy and more disobedience, and that cycle begins to spiral like a flywheel, and it goes the wrong direction. And God is trying to help them to stop that crazy cycle, stop that, and to get off it, and the way that you deal with it is you stop questioning God's love, you accept God's judgment, you recognize it comes from dishonor and disobedience, and you realize that, oh, my heart has grown cold to God. And if your heart is cold to God, there's only one of two reasons why. Either you really don't know Jesus is Lord of your life, and you need to, or you do know him and have surrendered your life to him and are born again, but you've just put it in neutral, eroded over time, like just water just just eroding away the soil and you all of a sudden have ended up way on the far side and you look back and you're like i don't know why i'm here i didn't used to be like this boy when i first started i first trusted christ and went to church i was excited on fire and all of this yeah because you were growing you weren't apathetic you weren't lazy but you've become that so what God desires is the opposite. He desires us to, instead of that apathy, He desires to guard our heart and obey Him and to pursue Him and to do what's right and to experience His love along the way. Look at His recommendation to those individuals who were divorcing their wives and who, for the sake of somebody else and, and rejecting God, he says in, in verse 16, he says, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. And here's the solution. Guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. He says, guys, when you have filled your life with violence and violence toward even your wife and it shows up ultimately in the divorce, you've been faithless to God and faithless and irresponsible toward her, how do we deal with uh, that whole lifestyle when we begin to realize that we've disobeyed God? He says, guard your spirit. 
It doesn't say go out and create new laws, you know, and be more legalistic in your faith and create a better checklist. Sometimes Christians do that. We become checklist Christians and we just create all of these checklists that we're supposed to be. And if we do all of those, then we're holy. No, he doesn't say that. He says, check your heart. Check what's inside of you. Guard it. Guard it because out of that heart come the issues of life, the Bible says. Out of that heart, out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. If you want to know what's down in your heart, listen to what you say. Watch what you do. Just pay attention because that's what's down inside. He says, we're supposed to guard that. See, that's the issue, is an apathetic of a lazy life before God. And if we guard that, then that, when we do that, we move from being apathetic to being focused, to being intentional, to pursuing God and loving Him and making everything that we do in life out of that. And when we do that, that leads us to obey and to honor God. And as we obey and honor God, we experience God's blessing. Not his judgment, but his blessing. And when we experience God's blessing, we are like, we step back and say, wow, God really loves me. Look what he's done in my life. And when we realize that, all that makes us want to do is to be even more focused. And we become more focused and obey him. And we, instead of the death cycle, we begin to have a growth cycle. We begin to create this forward momentum. Instead of going backwards, we create this forward momentum of, of life of vitality. And this is what our Christian life should look like. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that we're all going to be in that. In fact, none of us will live in that cycle all the time as Christians. I wish we would, but we're sinners and we're, we're a fallen world and we fall into that other for a while. The real practical reality is, is we should recognize the other one and get out of it as quickly as we can and get into this one. This is where God wants to live. And by the way, that's why when we started out this morning, I put those resources up there. Is there a little checklist in heaven that you're going to get to heaven one day? And, you know, kind of like, you know, standing in a line at the DMV and, you know, just line forever and stand before God. And God's going to kind of look at you like, oh, okay. Wow, you attended prayer group once a week. Good for you. You know, cool. You went to the ladies, you know, Bible study every summer. Awesome. Hey, I see you did 20 personal Bible study books in your Christian life. That's awesome. Check. That, none of that's going to happen. But, but, when you and I give ourselves to God's Word, and we ask God to speak into our heart, it's like you and I going to the car, taking the sandpaper, taking the drill out, and drilling out the rust in the sand. And if we got to put some Bondo in it, so be it. But really, God never uses Bondo. He just makes it all new to begin with. And we just, he blesses us in the middle of that. So we seriously, as a church, we want to be a church where you take responsibility for your own growth. We want to provide some things, but we also, as a pastor, I don't want to be a lazy pastor. I, you know, I love, we have eight kids, if you didn't know that. We have a lot of kids there, but they're all older and you don't see little ones running around anymore. And, you know, it's, it's fine when you spoon feed a kid, but when a kid's able to feed themselves and they're 10 year old, years old not doing it, and your mom, that gets old, you know? So we don't put things out there to say, grow, take responsibility and get together and work. So we wanna create that culture because that's really what's important for your life and for my life. So let me ask you this morning, where are you? Which cycle are you in? 
Are you in a growth cycle? Are you in that death cycle? Are you sowing seeds to righteousness and pursuing a passion in your heart? Or are you not? You know what happens to me is when I stop saying thank you to God and I stop saying, God, I love you, and I stop focusing on that, and I maybe don't pray quite so much anymore, and I'm like, oh, I've read the Bible. I, I know what it means. And I, when I start, those little things start happening, that's the beginning of major problems in my life. That's when all of a sudden I become apathetic, and I become lazy, I become presumptuous, and then I start on this, that cycle. So guys, you gotta catch that. And if that's where you are, catch it now. It will save you much pain and suffering and anguish. Maybe you didn't catch it and you're in that cycle and you're experiencing God's judgment and you're like, I don't know if God really loves me. Then what you need this morning is to say, God, forgive me for that. I don't feel it, but I know you love me and I'm gonna accept that truth. God, would you show me where I have messed up. And I would challenge you to pursue God in repentance. God, would you reveal to me the ugliness of what I've done wrong? Not to wallow in it, but so that you can understand. And when you understand what you've done and where you are, then you can repent of it. And I'll ask God to change you and forgive you and to, to renew you in righteousness and, and truth and ask God to help you. So confess that apathy and that, that questioning of his love for you. Maybe you're in that growth cycle, and if you are this morning, then say, thank you, God, for helping me, but oh, God, help me to stay where I need to be. I don't know what God has spoken in your heart this morning, but you're in one of those two cycles right now. You're not, there's not three or four. There's only one or two. You're somewhere on one of those spots. And I want to challenge you as our worship team comes up to lead us in a response song, I want to challenge you to evaluate your life. So let me ask you this question as I bow your head. If you had to put yourself on one of those cycles, would it be the red one or the green growth cycle? Would it be the red death cycle or the green one? And where on it would, it, would you be? And where, what do you need to do to move that forward? to get where God wants you to be. I want you to think about that and have a conversation with God. I'm going to pray for you and give you a little bit of time there. And we're going to ask our team to lead us in a song. And during that song, if you still want to pray to God and be quiet, do it. If you want to sit where you are, do it. If you want to stand and sing, do it. But it's your time to kind of reflect on what God is speaking to you about. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for the truths here this morning. Lord, these things are as much part of a need for my life as anyone here. Lord, help us as a church to be people that pursue you with a purpose and intentionality of fervency. Lord, we know that we do get tired, but that, that tiredness should never lead us to apathy or taking you for granted. You want to renew us and rest. And I pray for those this morning who've been pursuing you hard in their life and just firmly. Lord, would you grant rest in their life? I pray for those that have maybe tempted to put it in neutral and just coast. Coast on what they know, coast on where they've been, focusing on other things. 
Father, would you convict them? Lord, you allow the judgment in our life really as an act of love to wake us up and show us we have a problem. And Lord, would you do just that? But help us to take ownership and responsibility with you, I pray. And would you renew, renew us? For those who know Jesus as Lord, Father, would you renew us in that relationship? Would you bless us in that? Father, for those that have never stepped forward in faith, I pray this morning that they would realize that and realize the blessing that they're missing. And it really comes because they've not surrendered to you. Lord, would you work in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.